from world conflicts to falling financial markets, natural disasters, and more. Wish the headlines would just stop. It's not a newsflash that life can feel like a pressure cooker. From managing work to building relationships, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And for many of us, anxiety and stress are constant companions. But you are not alone. Support is out there, just waiting to meet you. And you can find it through friendly people at churchescare.com. At churchescare.com, we know that finding your community can feel intimidating. That's why we do the heavy lifting for you. Churchescare.com helps connect people like you to churches that can support and serve you. In your new community, you'll find a group of people ready to talk, listen, and help you navigate life through its twists and turns. All you have to do is come as you are. If you're ready to find your community, visit churchescare.com today. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-S-Care.com. We look forward to serving you. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I'm Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. To find out more about the Exxon Broadcast Network, where you can listen to us 24-7, 365 with our compliments, visit www.xzbn.net. And that is for all the Exxon Broadcast Network programming, including, uh, let me see, Kevin Randall's A Different Perspective, uh, Larry Lawson's Paranormal Stakeout, Gwilda Wiecka, Mission Evolution, Sharon Lynn Wyeth, Know the Name, Know the Genius in You, just to name a few of them. And, and of course, Dr. Bernie Beitman's Connecting with Coincidence, www.xzbn.net. And uh, for the program listing for the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, by the way, we're channel number 21, com. My guest this hour, Exxonation, is a gentleman we've had the pleasure of having on before, Mac Maloney is his name. He grew up in Dorchester section of Boston and was taught to read and write by the nuns at St. Anne's School. His father was a veteran of World War II and he used to read military books all the time. As a child, Mac started reading them too. Along with a lot of science fiction, he received a Bachelor of Science in Journalism and a graduate degree in filmmaking from Emerson College. He was a sports reporter for two years after college before joining corporate America as a publicist for General Electric Company. Mac started writing books in 1984 and has been doing it full-time since 1987, penning over 30 books. Joining me now from the city of the World Series winners, Boston, is our guest this hour. Mac Maloney and Mac, uh, welcome back to the Exxon and congratulations to all the Boston Red Sox fans. Thank you, Rob, and uh, thank you. Uh, Mac, are you still doing your show? Yes, right. We do our radio show, Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show, once a week. Excellent, excellent, because uh, you know, I, uh, I'm trying to get as many listeners to uh-huh. listen to your show as possible, you know, because thank you. you. You guys are great. I'll tell you that. I listened to a couple of your shows and it was really well done. Oh, okay. You sure as us? 
Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just don't checking. don't you know? Just checking. So tell me, how did how did you celebrate the win of the World Series? Well, it, it was. Um, we live about about a half hour north of Boston, and mm. Boston is a very small city. You know, people um, you know might think it might be like New York or a bigger city, but it is. It's very small. All the streets are very tiny, and um, because it's an old city, and mm-hmm. you just know when you go down there, any kind of anything, even just a regular baseball game, the traffic is tied up for hours. There was about 3 million people in there today, and wow. I said, no, I'll just watch it on TV. So I had a beer with lunch, and that was it. You know, it, it's it's funny how things turn in this world of ours. It was years uh, just a few years ago when Boston had that horrific uh, Boston Marathon bombing, and, uh-huh. you know, yep. Boston was, was, was in the news, in the forefront. And, of course, everyone everyone's heart went out to all the Bostonians and uh, the people who were involved. You know, casualties of that horrific act. Uh-huh. And to see the people celebrating in the streets because of the win of the World Series, man, right. that, that was great. Right. That was And, and that great. was a very unlikely World Series win, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, I mean, I don't want to go out you know, too far down baseball land, mm-hmm. but, you know, they won that World Series with a point seventy batting average. I mean, that's terrible. If you had point seven, you know, if you had a 170 batting average during a regular season, you'd be benched. But they, they got key hits that year. It was almost like it was meant to be. And uh, anyway, congratulations to all the okay. Boston fans. Mm-hmm. It was a great series. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Yes, um, let me ask you something. Uh, what was the Gallipole disappearance <laughs> that, that I'm reading about here? Right. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I think it's the first story in uh, my new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. And what it was is, uh, it's actually, I think, pronounced Gallipoli. It's a place in Turkey. During World War One. Um, British, Australian, and New Zealand troops were part of an invasion uh, uh, of Turkey. Uh, Turkey was on Germany's side. Mm-hmm. So uh, the British thought that they could get a foothold in Turkey. Um, so they invaded um Gallipoli in Turkey, and they were just mowed down. It was just one of the most horrific things in World War One, which had a many, many number of uh, horrific things. Um, as I say, lots of Commonwealth soldiers actually killed. Uh, there's a movie called Gallipoli that Mel Gibson stars, in, and it really is graphic on how bad this battle was. Anyway, there was this 100-man company from Britain called the Sandgreenhams, and they were actually made up of servants and people who worked on the Sandgreenham uh, estates in the United Kingdom. They actually formed their own military unit, went through training, and now they're over in Scalipoli, and uh, they were sent forward uh, just into the meat grinder, and uh, okay. the last anyone saw, now there's 100 people walking into uh, smoke. Uh, they never came out the other side. Uh, they had periodic ceasefires, so people could go out and collect their dead. Never found anyone from this uh, this company. No, no one in the 100-man company was ever found. No uniforms, no weapons, no remains, nothing. It's as if they walked into another dimension or, or place in space and time. Something, something. And even the uh, person who was the, uh, let's say, commander-in-chief of British forces, uh, at that time, someone asked him mm-hmm. about it, and he says, you know, we we don't know. It, it was a very unexplainable thing, or he had some kind of quote like that. And, um, uh, you know, who knows? It, it's just odd that all 100, I mean, wherever they went, they went together type mm-hmm. thing. Is this the only story of a disappearance uh, of soldiers that over the years you came across? No, there's actually, you know, there's actually lots of them. Um, 
you know, World War One, especially, it, it's just a horrible, you know, war. Just people just, it just, um, you know, the trench warfare yeah. was just awful. You know, it's just awful. There's no other way to describe it. Just t- tens of thousands of pe- uh, soldiers dying every day for it seemed like uh, no reason. But mm-hmm. there was a um, a battle in a in in um, a uh, small town in Belgium that I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name. And uh, but a very small town. But this is where the Germans trench was and where the British trench was. This is um, August of 1917. And then it was the rainiest season as summer they had ever had. They had had in like hundreds of years in France, wouldn't you know it, right in the middle of the war. And it created so much mud and so much dirt had been churned up by artillery shells. They counted a million artillery uh, craters just within two or three miles of this place. That's how heavily bombarded it was. Churns up the dirt, the dirt, the dirt gets wet. It, it becomes mud and it becomes mud that's like, you know, in some cases, 10, 12 feet, uh, you know, down. Wow. And, and people would get stuck in it. They'd get sucked under, never to be seen again. And um, this went on for uh, four or five months. And uh, when the battle was over, more than a half a million people on both sides were killed or wounded. And almost 100,000 of the soldiers who died were never identified, never seen. So somewhere in the, in the ground there is um, just a lot of human remains. I mean, it's as crazy as it sounds. The name of your new book I believe, is Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe? Mm-hmm, right. And where is it available, Mac? Uh, the easiest place, it's available everywhere, but the easiest place is to go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. I just want to make sure our listeners get that because, you know, Christmas is coming pretty soon, mm-hmm. as as well as Remembrance Day. And I really don't think the youth of today, Mac, realize the sacrifice that, men and women over the years in the different wars and conflicts in modern time, you know, the sacrifices were great. Right. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's almost impossible for people to appreciate, mm. you know, what people did, especially in, um, you know, in World War Two. you know, my father was a veteran of World War Two, and, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I knew a lot of, you know, people, you know, uncles and neighbors and, yeah. People like that who who went to, who were in World War Two. They were kids, you know, back then. And um, when the war came around, but and and um, I don't know, you know, they, they they came home and it was no big deal. What they came home to was like the GI Bill. A lot of them went to college and 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 so on. You know, that was the post-war era in in right. the United States. But uh, and then there was prosperity and so on. But I, I I don't know how do you how do you repay people in in the United States and Canada and England. For what they did, suppose if they didn't do it, God what would happen? Where would we be? God bless them all. And you, and you know, whenever we go out, my wife and I, and I, and I've taught my children this, and they're teaching our grandchildren. When you see a member of the armed forces in uniform, or even if they're not in uniform, but you know they're in the in the armed forces, go over and say thank you. Yeah. It, I'll buy him a drink. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I'm a member of the of the Canadian Legion. All my mm-hmm. uncles were in World War II. And when I see the youth of today, and, you know, it's it's a totally different world. And they have no mm-hmm. idea. Right. Uh, things have changed. That's yeah. the thing. It's, it's in, in a way, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting because, you know, the wars we fight these days are not the wars that, you know, we fought World sure. War II. Mac, I hate to do know. this to you, buddy, but being in the radio business yourself, you know that these breaks are hard and we have to take oh, yeah. them. So Mac Maloney is my special guest. He's the author of a new book, Mac Maloney's 
Haunted Universe. His website is MacMaloney.com and his books are available on Amazon.com. I'm Rob McConnell. Mac and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away. And to all the members of the military who are listening to the show right now, thank you for your service. We'll be back. Don't go away. My guest this hour is Mac Maloney. His website is macmaloney.com. Mac has a new book out. It's entitled Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, and it's available uh, on Amazon.com. And because we don't do this enough, I'm going to do it again. To all the members of the military serving now or to the veterans who are listening, thank you for your service. It's because of your sacrifices and your service that we live in the democratic and free world that we do today. And... Mm -hmm. And, and, and as we were saying before the break, I, yeah. I, I don't think people, they're not reminded enough of, of something like that. And, 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 you know, when time goes by and, you know, uh, things kind of get, uh, you know, foggy and, you know, uh, as the years go by, True. let's say. But, you know, there are other countries. I'm talking about America right now. There are other countries, certainly uh, even the Russians, you know, mm -hmm. who really honor their veterans. I mean, I don't know why don't, we don't do it in the United States. So um, but we should. Well, here in Canada, what we do is we have uh, Remembrance Day or Armistice Day, mm -hmm. and and at eleven o'clock, at eleven eleven eleven, we have two minutes of silence. Mm -hmm. And in every city across Canada, there's there's a you know there is a monument to remind us how lucky we are and how thankful we should be and are to the military and those who have fought in in the conflicts as as well as in the world wars yep. and i agree with you 100 percent. you know it's it's something that that i hope like i can instill it in my children i can instill it and work with my children to instill it in in their children and i and i think that this is very important that every member of society realize the sacrifices that have been made in order to to give them the democracy and the freedoms that Nine times out of ten, they take for granted. Uh, right. Yeah, because, you know, they, they've grown up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we've had gen uh, several generations now grow up in time of relative peace. Yeah. And um, they don't realize, you know, every once in a while you run into someone. Like my wife's father was in World War II. In fact, he was the youngest Marine, Marine on the uh, the Battle of Okinawa. Wow. He was 15 years old when he went into uh, the Pacific War. But anyway, it you know... Um, He's just you know someone who fought the battle, came home, became a you know an English teacher, was an English teacher for mm -hmm. thirty years, raised a family of you know five, and you know just kind of like went about his business, you know. But you know when I when he told me the things that he saw and and, and what happened and how he kind of played a part in this you know major part of history, it's just it's almost overwhelming, you know. You you, you almost had to experience it yourself, I think, to yeah. 
Really appreciate it. My wife and I, uh, we we had to go to, to Hawaii to do a, a, a TV production. So my wife and I, when we were off, uh, off the set and, and away from the production, we actually went over to Honolulu. And mm-hmm. we went to Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm, sure. And, and I must yeah. tell you something. Now, I, I consider myself to be a seasoned ex-cop. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot and I've done a lot. But being there was a feeling that I that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, emotional. Yep. Very, very yeah. emotional. And you know, any any uh, uh, ship that goes in and out of that Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. uh, they have the crew come out and stand on deck and uh, salute the um, the remains of yep. the USS Arizona. Still do uh, it to the to this day. There's still uh, sailors, you know, who are entombed down and and. At the bottom of yeah. Pearl Harbor in the USS Arizona, still there. Were you in the military, Mac? Uh, no, I wasn't. You know, uh, my family, I'm from a military family, yeah. but uh, I'm not. My, as I said, my father was in uh, World War II. I've had, right. I had uncles who were in the Korean War. My brother was in the Vietnam War. Um, and the people we do the uh, radio show with, they're both, uh, one's an Air Force veteran, one's a Navy veteran. I'm surrounded by veterans, but... I don't think I was would have been military material, to tell you the truth. Um, my favorite cousin, when I was growing up, uh, was so proud. He joined the U.S. Marines, and just as he was landing in Vietnam, his, uh, what are they called? Uh, what are those uh, ships, those those barges, landing barge? Yeah, sure, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was going ashore, and uh, before he even set foot on, uh, on, uh, on the soil, he was uh, dead. Dead? Dead. Yeah. Wow. What happened? You mean he was shot dead? Yeah, he was shot. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and and anyway, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get across to the listeners tonight, Mac, and, and I know that this is what you do with your show, is that the military plays a very important part, and once uh, once for our freedom and and democracy. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just our freedom too. This is what you know. Another thing that's kind of mm-hmm. lost in the translation a little bit, um, just the NATO powers. Let's say. Oh yeah. Um, you know they protect the entire world, and mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, and you know it's kind of as I say, it's kind of you know lost in all the noise that happens every day. But you know, um, someone's always going to be creating mischief somewhere. Of course. And you you have to go and you have to. And certain times you have to, you know, not all the time, but in certain times is you, you have a choice. Do nothing or you have to kind of stand up for what's right. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, some people who are alive today, they saw that happen in the Gulf War. For mm-hmm. instance, the first Gulf War was something that you had to really go and say, okay, enough's enough. The Falkland Islands War, as stupid as it was, you're you're making a point. You just can't invade someone else's island. That's right. I mean, you, you got to go down and do something about it. But well, let um, me ask you this, Mac, and and I'm sorry for interrupting you. That's okay. But when we look at what's happening at the southern border of the United States with these thousands and thousands of people who are telling the the U.S. government, "We're coming in. You're not going to stop us." Hmm. Well, I'll tell you my thoughts on that. I'd appreciate that, that, and I respect um, that. You know, overall, long range, mm-hmm. long range, okay, is uh, the way that you deal with that kind of problem is that you make it illegal for the large food corporations and different corporations that ring the southern border of our country uh, from hiring people who are illegal. If it's, if it's against the law to hire someone who's illegal, 
then illegals won't come to this country looking for jobs. But they're they're looking for more than that, and they know that as soon as they they get lost in the system, or if they're given uh, right, asylum, they, they're they're going to get they're they're going to some have will, yeah. some will, but the majority of them are, are here for financial reasons, right. you know, um, and and things are just horrible down in in those countries, and they always are Honduras sure. and down there, it's just always kind of chaotic. Yep, been it, there. Right? But if you sh if if you take away the incentive. Mm -hmm. Um, then they won't come in, and actually, and then the uh, the added benefit of that is, at least to Americans, is that then Americans uh, will do those jobs and get paid, you know, a decent wage. That's what it's all exactly. about. It's hiring cheap labor. That's what the whole. That's what a, a vast majority of the immigrant, quote unquote, population uh, problem, uh, is about. So do away with that, and I think the problem goes away. How do you feel about the military going down there? <clears throat> Well, you know, I, I really, really uh, dislike uh, um, <clears throat> discussing politics, but I'll tell you this: the military isn't going down there. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, it's not going to happen. You can't get fifteen thousand people down there in in a week, uh, even though it seems like you should be able to. Um, you know, it, it, we're in a political season here in, in the United States. Uh, the elections are next right, week, right? And uh, everything you see on TV, just about has some kind of a, a political angle to it, you know, and frankly, I don't care. You know, I, I just I don't like it discussing politics or religion with anyone because you never change anyone's sure. mind. Well, you know well let's mean, put that know? to rest and call a spade a spade. OK, Boston won the World Series. That's true. There that's, you go. Okay. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, Mac, I was talking to a guest earlier this hour and uh, earlier tonight, I should say, and I knew you were coming on and and I deliberately would like to ask you this question. Is it possible for the military to actually have interaction with extraterrestrials without the information getting out anywhere, even to the President of the United States? Uh, no, no, 100 percent no. Um, there's, there's um, and we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. um, I know that... Um, there's there's no evidence. Once again, if you kind of look past the noise, yeah, uh, um, there's no evidence at all that the U.S. military knows what UFOs are. Now, they have more information that they exist because mm -hmm. we know they have film, videotape, you name it, yeah. photographs. But uh, I don't believe that they know any more f about where UFOs come from uh, than we do. Why then do you think there are those people out there who are convinced, like, they will put their hand in fire and say, listen, I talked mm -hmm. to a general and this general talked sure. to me in confidence and he told me that there was this crash and that we are the, you know, reverse engineering has produced fiber mm -hmm. optic, this, that, and the other thing. Well, where is it? You know, I mean, yeah. that's the other thing, too, is that fiber optic, for instance, um, you know, by saying that fiber optic was, you know, the result of reverse engineering UFO, what you're doing, you're, you're dissing the people who actually invented yeah. fiber optics, you know, uh, probably someone at AT&T or something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th that's all human, um, uh, human engineered, let's say. And you can point to anything and say, well, you know, we got that from the aliens. But uh, once again, I probably said this on your show, too, is that you know, we launched the space shuttle here in the United States for yeah. more than 25 years. Right? It was the most complicated piece of machinery ever in the history of man. It was like launching a dump truck into orbit. 
and we had some, you know, catastrophes. Sure. It cost a lot of money. And what did it really do but just kind of ride around up there? Would we go through all that if we had the secret of anti-gravity from some UFO found in Roswell in 1947? Uh, according to me, no. No. There's no way. It, because, you know, government doesn't work like that. Max, stand by, my friend. I hate to do this to you, but we have to take our break at the bottom of the hour for the news. And Exonation, Mac and I will be back on the other side of this break. www.macmaloney.com. And uh, Mac, where can they find out about your radio show? Well, just go to uh, macmaloney.com, uh, and there's uh, the schedule around seven different networks, including the Armed Forces Radio Network. Excellent. But uh, go to macmaloney.com and see our schedule. All right, buddy, stand by. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Exonation and Mac Maloney is our special guest this hour, www.macmaloney.com. He is the author of a new book out entitled Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, and it's available on Amazon.com. And he's also the host of Mac Maloney's Military X-Files radio show. Uh, he's authored more than 40 books, including UFOs in Wartime, What They Didn't Want You to Know, and Beyond Area 51 plus the best-selling Wingman Military Adventure uh, series. And once again, his website is macmaloney.com. As always, Mac, great having you on the show. And uh, during the break with the news, you and I were discussing a story uh, about UFOs. And, uh, and as you were telling, to me, uh, telling the story to me, I said, can we tell it on air? And you said, sure, so please go ahead. I'm, I, I'm sure our listeners would love it. Well, you know, a, a couple, actually, um, on our show, we know a number of people. We have this small network of people who have worked for the U.S. military mm -hmm. or have worked for the FBI or the CIA or, you know, any other three-letter agency. So uh, one of them who works as a contractor to one of the agencies, what he would do every year is go down to, to D.C. and they would have these kind of workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, combined workshops where there'd be someone from the State Department, from the from the Pentagon, from um, NASA, from the Justice Department, and so on. And they would give them a problem. And for the next three days, they would discuss this problem. And the problem would usually be, you know, if a, if an ocean liner was, was hijacked, if an airplane was forced to land at JFK and, you know, had radicals and bombs mm -hmm. on it, or, you know, just things that uh, are kind of real-life scenarios, let's say, okay? Um, but it, the last time he went down, well, actually, this was last summer now, uh, you know, he, everything was just as it always was, but the scenario was, was w what would you do if a, um, you know, an extraterrestrial craft uh, crashed wow. in the desert somewhere? And uh, everyone had to go away and and work up a presentation and and then present it to the group. That's what they would do. But he was shocked that the that the problem this time had to do with a UFO. He, he just couldn't believe it. What do you know about these alleged bases uh, throughout the United States, these underground bases? Um, are, are they real? And mm -hmm. if they are, in my opinion, they would be so that any overhead satellite would not be able to take pictures of what is going mm -hmm. on. But sure. 
people within the UFO community are convinced that this is where the governments are maintaining the the extraterrestrials that are on this planet. In fact, I had a guest on who said there's more than 61 species of ETs that that the government knows about. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I don't want to be the bucket of ice water. No, uh, I, I usually am. Don't worry about it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, none of that is true. Um these things don't exist, and um, you know, once again, we are not, you know, in contact with aliens, ETs, or anything, mm-hmm. you know, in in a way that's going to affect us. Um, you know, when you hear about SETI and these people, you know, uh, seeing um, signals, you know, receiving signals from way, way, way out in the galaxy, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I believe is where we're going to find out for the first time that we're not alone in the universe. Right. Now, I'm not saying that UFOs, you know, don't come from, you know, some other planet, some other galaxy, who knows where. Mm-hmm. But there's a good chance that they're from, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say another dimension, another time. We've talked about it before. I think yeah. they might be time tourists. They might be from our own future, mm-hmm. coming back to see history being made. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's any kind. There's dozens of explanations. There's probably an infinite number of explanations of what they could be from, and it's probably something we just can't understand. Um, but they're here. They're real. Uh, but there's no way that there are sixty thousand aliens living in, in in the hole in a hole somewhere. Where would you put the dirt? How would you feed them? Well, you know, how would you support a, a place like that? And all secret these days. Everyone blabs about everything. There's no way you could keep a secret like that. I can't understand how they truly believe that a secret of this magnitude could be kept from the president of the United States. Right. Um, and now, the president of the United States doesn't necessarily get all top secrets. And and there's actually a, a, um, a story in, a, in the book, Mike Maloney's Haunted Universe, yeah. about um, there was a, there was a, a ship uh, built by the CIA back in the early 70s called the Glomar Explorer. And what it was, Howard Hughes built the ship. It looked like something that went and looked for oil pockets in the deep sea in the Pacific. But really, what it was is it had a gigantic claw, and it's in, in, in you know hidden away. And what they did is they they found a Russian submarine that had sunk, and they had they had sent the claw down to pick up the submarine, hoping they would get you know uh, it, it, the missiles, for instance, uh, the nuclear reactor, so they would know what the Russians were up to. This is early 70s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon did a tour of the San Diego Navy base. And he said, hey, look at that ship. You know, I'd like to tour that. And the CIA said no. They wouldn't even give him. He didn't have clearance enough to, you know, tour the CIA ship. Okay, so that was one secret he did not know. Uh, they do say that when presidents take over that they handed an envelope or they give it a briefing with two or three things, you know, that would just like blow your mind is uh, told to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, you know, whether they knew about UFOs and not telling the president, you know, who knows. If the, if disclosure was going to happen, it's going to happen with the guy who's in the White House right now, though, because, you know, he can't keep a secret. It's obvious. <laughs> Double-edged sword on that one there, isn't it? Um, in your book, you talk about England's phantom town. Can you tell us about that? Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, it's just one of these, you know, crazy stories where we have no explanation for it. But there was actually a, a place called uh, Ogleton in West Lancashire, uh, part of England. And um, it was a British town. It was a typical British town. It had its own postal code, had its own post office. It appeared on Google Maps. Mm-hmm. It had want ads in the newspaper for new jobs and so on. Real estate uh, had a local dating service and so on and so forth. But it didn't exist. If you went to the coordinates that it was given you know, on maps or on Google, Google Maps, you'd go there and there, it was just an empty field. Huh. Um, 
no one knows why this happened. No one knows who set it up. Um, it seems like maybe some, you know, who knows, British intelligence might have needed to create a virtual town for some reason. Um, you know, no one knows really. You know, someone said, um, we actually asked one of these friends of ours who appear on the radio show every once in a while, you know, about this. And and his response was, what, what better place for a government to hide secrets than a town that never existed, right? Wow. And we're going, yeah, I guess so, you know. But, yeah, not, but it's gone now. It's not on Google Maps anymore. But yeah, it would it, it this phantom town existed for four or five years. In your book, Mac, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, which is available on Amazon.com, as I've been uh, saying throughout this uh, this hour, what is the strangest ghost plane story that you have in your book? Uh, well, this really is a strange one, and and I had never heard about this before. Mm -hmm. But this is like one of the stories in the book that really kind of you know, creeps me out in a way. Um, there's a, the setting is, is that there's a place called the John Wayne airport in Orange County, California. And that's a very, very ritzy part of the LA region of California. Okay? okay. So, uh, it's so ritzy that everyone has private jets, but you can't take off before 8am on a Sunday and you can't land after a certain time at night because the noise restrictions, because everyone that lives around the airport is really rich. Right? So on a Sunday morning, one of these um, small racing airplanes all of a sudden shows up over this airport and it starts to do aerobatic uh, maneuvers and so on and make making a lot of noise and it's before 8 a.m. So people actually uh, see the uh, number on the side of it and they report it to the tower. And then what happens is routinely the tower then uh, issues a noise violation notice to the owner of the airplane. And that's what they did. Their computer did. But it turns out that the owner of the airplane was a guy named Deke Slayton, who was one of the f original seven Mercury astronauts yes, that's right, on yeah. NASA. Okay, yeah. He had just passed away five hours before. Oh, my gosh. And the plane, which he sold to a collector, was in its garage in Las Vegas. And a guy in the sky, the owner, uh, you know, filed an affidavit saying this plane has never left the hangar since I've bought it. Uh, yet dozens of people saw this thing you know, flying around mm -hmm. enough so they took down the number. And then and then they got a violation notice, and no one's ever really explained, you know, what happened. Wasn't Deke Slayton also the project manager uh, for Apollo thirteen? Right, he was. You know, yeah. they were all involved. That's an interesting thing about the astronauts is that you know some of them would go up, but others, you know, they would they were actually be involved. They'd be controllers or whatever. Mm -hmm. They were engineers. They were designers. You know, so they really got the most that they could out of the uh, the astronauts. But he was also the guy who was he was in command of the. Uh, 1975, believe it or not, there was a Apollo capsule was shot into space, and then a Russian Soyuz capsule was shot into space, and they actually joined, and they linked up in 1975, which was interesting because we weren't really in that good relationship with them at the time. They called it Glasnost. But, uh, you know, we did it. We yeah. did it way back then. And uh, look how far we've come. Right. And not far at all. We've, we've taken a few steps back, frankly. What about uh, ghost ships? Yeah, the oh sorry. It's the right. um, uh, my favorite ghost ship story is it, it has to do with, and we have stories about ocean liners disappearing mm -hmm. and um, all different kinds of ships. But this one, just for some reason, you know, it sticks with me. And it was just a a, a fishing ship, uh, a fishing vessel, small um, boat out of Taiwan called the High Six, and it would usually fish off of um, Australia. All right, why don't we and, do this? We've got to come up to our final break, and I'm sorry about this. Okay, that's fine. But Mac, uh, stand by, buddy. Great having you with us. And Exonation, if you'd like to find out more about Mac Maloney, our guest this hour, 
visit his website, MacMaloney.com. And if you'd like to get a copy of Mac's newest book entitled Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, visit Amazon.com. Mac and I will return on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Donation. Mac Maloney is our special guest this hour. His website is macmaloney.com, and Mac is the author of a new book that's available through Amazon.com entitled Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. And Mac is the host of Mac Maloney's Military X-Files radio show, and uh, to listen to the, to uh, Mac's radio show and to uh, find out its broadcast schedule, visit macmaloney.com. First of all, Mac, always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing with us tonight. Congratulations on, on a great book. Um, during, during the break, um, my producer shot me over a note. He wanted mm -hmm. to know, um, after you tell us about the ship that disappeared in okay. the, the Taiwanese ship that kind of disappeared, the fishing mm -hmm. ship, about the Bermuda Triangle. Okay. Um, well, w the ship that disappeared, what was interesting about it was, um, you know, they, you know, people would see them all the time and mm -hmm. ships would say they always radio each other just as a courtesy. Well, right. no one was answering the radio on this, uh, fishing ship called the high six. So finally, you know, this, uh, this other fishing ship came up, uh, you know, uh, uh tied up to them, mm -hmm. came aboard, couldn't find the, um, crew, um, uh, just gone, you know, like so many ships at sea for some reason, you know, their crews are gone, nothing's wrong with the ship. But what yeah. was interesting about this was that a cell phone belonging to the ship's engineer kept getting calls for like a week later and then they stopped as well and uh, no one ever found out what happened to the crew or you know who was making the calls on the cell phone now wh where was this ship found was it found in the bermuda triangle or one of the no, other no. famed uh, triangles no this was uh, it was off the west coast wow. of australia this happened um but you know with the bermuda triangle you know what's interesting about the bermuda triangle is that um you know, and once again, not to go back to reference the new book, but we do have a story in there about this. Um, the Navy's, the U.S. Navy's Area 51 is located in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. And and as crazy as that sounds, it's true. It's called Autech. It's on one of the Bahamian Islands. Mm -hmm. It's right in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. It's where the uh, U.S. Navy, now they do this for sure, because there's a trench there between the Bahamas and the uh, coast of Florida that's very deep from the Gulf Stream, you know, rolling by there for millions of years. And they, and, and they uh, test new equipment on the nuclear submarines off of this island. There's no doubt about it. It's called Andrews Island. But they also have a lot of radar gear and sonar gear there. Uh, the, 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 the sonar gear is so good it can hear Russian beer bombers over Norway. This is the sonar gear. can hear Russian wow. beer bombers 
over Norway. Okay, that's how sensitive it is. Um, yet people see USOs down there all the time. They see UFOs down there all the time. And the Navy says, we never see any of this stuff. So it puts them in the position, well, is this stuff that you have, the billions of dollars worth of sonar and radar equipment, you say it doesn't work? Or are you lying about not seeing this stuff? So, um, and, and and once again, it's in, it's it, a lot of very unusual stuff goes on down there. A lot of top secret stuff goes on down there. It's right in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle, and, and very few people know about that. Unreal. Something else from your book I'd like to ask you about. Your best celebrity UFO sighting. It uh, has to go to William Shatner um, because, you know, he's he's like uh, kind of the character. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the say, uh, you know. He's Canadian, uh, lately, what but, can I say? Um, he claimed in the, in a book uh, that he wrote or an interview that he was riding his motorcycle through mm -hmm. the Mojave Desert and got stranded. And it was 130 degrees out and so on and so forth when he said a, a UFO appeared over him and guided him to a gas station. And that's how he survived the ordeal. But later on, um, that was in his biography, but he uh, was interviewed by the New York Times and he said uh, his quote was, I told the truth that I lied. So... You know, did it happen? Who knows? Whatever. But, you know, it's just kind of funny. The, my second favorite one is that Mick Jagger was camping in 1968 with his girlfriend, Marianne Faithful, and they saw a UFO. And the biggest mystery about that is I can't imagine Mick Jagger camping, you know? <laughs> exactly. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, let me see. The best UFO story you found. Well, it happens um, to have happened off of Ganda uh, back in 1956. There's this uh, airplane, military airplane, a transport airplane that was actually carrying crews back from duty in uh, Europe. They was mm. going to land at Ganda, refuel, and go down to uh, past the Tonic River in uh, Maryland. A huge UFO uh, came up right from the ocean and rode alongside this airplane uh, for quite a while. Huge, 300 feet across, 100, sometimes uh, 60 feet thick. And what was interesting about this is that there were a lot of air crews, people who pilots and navigators who just happened to be on this transport plane. They came up to, uh, you know, the uh, crew compartment and also looked out the window. So you had like about 20 airmen as witnesses. Expert to this, witnesses. Uh, they, these okay. guys are expert witnesses. They're just not yep, witnesses. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and military pilots are the best, uh, you know, witnesses in, in, uh, of, um, of UFOs because mm -hmm. they've seen everything. They know what Venus looks like in the daytime and so on. When they see something unusual, they know it. Wow. Uh, in your book, do you discuss any bad military ideas? Well, there's a lot of bad military ideas, you know. Um, one of them was in um, 1958. Now, this is uh, right after the Russians launched Sputnik. Uh, mm -hmm. They actually had the first satellite. Yeah. And we could see it. I can remember as a kid being out in our street and looking at this thing go over. Yeah. Well, the U.S. Air Force wanted to uh, you know, improve the morale of the country. So they said they wanted to detonate a nuclear bomb on the moon and do it you know, on a day that you know, we could see it from Earth. Okay? Carl Sagan, the very famous scientist, was someone uh -huh. who was actually lobbying for this. You're kidding. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, the Pentagon, you know, to their wisdom, somehow, some way, the people in the Pentagon said, you know, wouldn't it be easier if we just, you know, landed a man on the moon? And that's what they wound up doing. The question is, if they couldn't get a satellite into orbit, how in the name of heavens were they going to get oh, an atomic yeah. bomb on the moon to blow it up to steal the thunder away from the Russians? <laughs> Believe me, they would have figured out a way. It would have cost billions of dollars, you know, but there was yeah. no... 
no thought given to you would contaminate the moon. I mean, right now the footprints of the moon are going to last there a million years because there's no wind, there's no wave that they, there's no reason that they would disperse. They would have contaminated the moon for eternity. So, so, so are you are you telling me, Mac, that all the people who believe there are bases on the moon are wrong? Yes, yeah, there's no bases on the moon. We, we would know about it, you know? We exactly. would know about it. Exactly, we'd like I, like I was telling them, the amateur astronomers, you know, mm -hmm. alone would be spilling the beans. True. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, there's a lot of them, true. Every author I talk to always has one favorite part of their book. And in your book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, what is your favorite entry? Well, there's, um, it's an entry that actually came from the book I wrote called Beyond Area 51. There's a place in Russia mm -hmm. that they call the M Triangle. It's in the Ural Mountains, and it's in a kind of isolated spot. And for years, the KGB, when the Soviet Union was still together, wouldn't let anyone in there who wasn't military or KGB. Finally, you know, when things kind of, you know, and they took the wall down and so on, the Russian government started letting journalists and scientists into this place because it had this myth about it. But it turns out that people who go to this place, like, for instance, the, the thing that gets me all the time is that the animals come right up to the people. They, the animals have no fear of people, and the fish have no fear of people. Fish come up to people and, you know, wanting to be fed. People see UFOs there all the time, but they see lots of lights and orbs and, and so on. They see the stars dancing. They see, like, Bigfoot-type creatures. And this is, like, about a 20-square-mile area. Um, but the strange thing is that when people go in there, it seems like they're changed. They go in there for two weeks on these expeditions, and when they come out, they seem to be, like, changed people. And um, and this goes on and on. This, uh, just the stuff that happens within this place is very unusual, and no one really knows why. But the best story about it is, real quick, is that this guy who was drummed out of the Russian uh, military, uh, for, uh, being unphysically fit, um, went to uh, became it bounced around, became a reporter. They let him into the M Triangle because he was a reporter. Now this was not a, a really bright bulb guy by his own admission. Okay, and there happened to be a People report, a People magazine reporter there that day, that week, and it followed this guy around. He wrote his story. He went back to Moscow. He had a sudden intelligence about astrophysics, and in less than a year, he was a cosmonaut. How does that happen? He says it happened because he went to the M Triangle. Um, it's a fascinating place, and it's just unusual that it happens to be in Russia, and now the. Um, uh, the Russian um, security services keep an eye on it again, which is too bad. But it's a very strange place. Strange things happen there, and that's that's my favorite entry for the book, for sure. Fascinating. So what what's up next for you, Mac? Um, I'm not sure. Well, I'm writing a book called, uh, well, I, I do my Wingman series. We're working right. on Wingman 19 right now. That's coming out next, uh, next May. And then we're going to work on uh, Wingman 20, which should be out about six months after that. So tell me, are you still playing with uh, your band Sky Club? Yep, still uh, playing with Sky Club. We have a second album coming out pretty soon. And um, it's all about UFOs and people I've met in the UFO community since I've been in the UFO community for the past two or three years or so. With that, I've got about a minute, Mac. First of all, thanks very much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Always a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, Thank you, Rob. Quickly, what is your opinion of Roswell? I don't think anything happened at Roswell. Um, and because uh, when you look at it from the point of view of, you know, what the Air Force was doing at the time, which yeah. was launching a lot of secret uh, balloons, we all know the story. Moguls. Okay. But, you know, all you have to do is look at the debris that was, um, you know, gathered uh, you know, after it from Brazil's farm, and there's rope in there. Do you think a UFO would really have rope aboard? Only if they're towing another UFO that ran out of See? gas. 
Yeah, right. Mac go. Maloney, so, thank you so much for joining us tonight, my friend. Always a great pleasure talking to you. And once again, congratulations right. to the to the World Series winner, Boston Red Sox, for a great series. And I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the Exxon Mac. Take care of yourself. Thank you, we and really ex- appreciate it. Thank hey, you, It's Rob, my bye. great pleasure, buddy. And Exxon Nation, if you'd like to get a copy of Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, visit his website, macmaloney.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 